This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, and as always, I am joined by Nick Horwat, and we do have a very important episode for you folks today, as of course it came to light earlier in this week, or I should say re-came into the light, about the Penguins being accused of covering up sexual assault. So clearly we are going to be starting the episode on that, rehashing all the details that we initially reported and discussed back on Season 2, Episode 3 of The Tip of the Iceberg, which was last December when these allegations were first brought up and the first lawsuit came out. And then a little bit later in the show, we are going to preview the next couple of matchups for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But obviously, the bulk majority of our attention this week is not on the Penguins on ice product. It is on this case, as is the entire NHL right now, with several of these incidents. So, Horat, before we get into this, new lawsuit that is coming up against the Pittsburgh Penguins, the ownership, former assistant general manager Billy Guerin, as well as former Wilkes-Barre Scranton assistant, or sorry, head coach Clark Donatelli. I do want to ask you, have you were the one that saw this before me whenever it came back out. So where did, uh, if you want to talk about how this came back into the national limelight. Yeah. It, um, obviously everyone knows about the whole Chicago Blackhawks, Stan Bowman and, all of the Kyle Beach situation and as horrible as that is and how um, brave of a soul and how uh, the, the public has reacted to the Kyle Beach you know thing it's it's something that the entire time we were discussing it or we were seeing Twitter of it in the back of my head I knew that hey this whole Penguins thing from Wilkes, the Wilkes-Barre Penguins thing is still a thing. The case is still open. It has not been closed yet. Um, and it, we knew that this was going to be coming back. And I think we didn't do ourselves and the situation justice by not mentioning it last week when everything was happening and saying, hey, by the way, um, yes, what's going on in Chicago is horrible. The Penguins organization is still dealing with their own situation that mm-hmm. it's not closed. And... It never went away, but it was brought back into the light again whenever Stan Bowman stepped down from Team USA Hockey and was rumored to be replaced with Bill Guerin, who, like you just mentioned, is one of the main names in this in the first case and now in the second one, for what it's worth. Also, the second one names the ownership, the Penguins ownership group, Mario and Ron Burkle mm-hmm. by name. So this won't be going away anytime soon, and in reality, yeah. it shouldn't. Um this is serious stuff that we're discussing mm-hmm. here again. Uh, this new case is opening up in Rhode Island where the incident took place. And if you don't know the, we won't get into the details of the incident because I think we talked about it in the mm-hmm. last episode that we discussed it in. And it's uh, not hard to find if you look for the details of it, but it was brought, yeah, this whole thing was brought back into light because it was, you know, this Bill Garen possibly being the replacement for Stan Bowman whenever, Bill Guerin himself may have a similar situation. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's where it all kind of came from. And then the second case was being reported on. Also, to make matters worse, a second uh, a second woman has come forward against mm-hmm. Clark Donatelli. Um, we do not know if the Penguins were aware of this one, mm-hmm. of this situation. Uh, the legal team's working to, working to get all the aspects figured out and get the facts straight, so... There is all of that, and I'm trying to remember other things. It's um, basically stuff that is important, and we should have touched on it last week. We dropped the ball there, but hey, now that it has re-entered the light, uh, it's what we're here to talk about. And the original, the original case that was it was discussed by Rick Westhead. So Rick Westhead has been all over these things uh, for a little Both while. Both Rick now. Westhead and Katie Strang have been, I mean, this is where the bulk yes. majority of our information comes from because those two have been on it the entire time. Rick Westhead with the Kyle Beach situation and with this situation mm-hmm. from the start. So we do want to give those reporters credit because that is where the majority of the work is being done. 
is by those two on Twitter for sure. So definitely follow them if you want moment-by-moment updates on social media. But as you mentioned, Horwat, the new lawsuit is Aaron Scaldi, wife of former Wilkes-Barre Scranton assistant coach Jared Scaldi, planning to file a sexual assault lawsuit against former coach Clark Donatelli, Bill Guerin, the Pittsburgh Penguins organization, Mario Lemieux, and Ron Burkle, as well as others, filed in the state court of Rhode Island, as you mentioned, because that's where it happened in Providence. And the Scaldis also plan to have a Zoom call on Tuesday with their representation to detail the allegations. But that is when, again, as you mentioned, a second woman came forward against Donatelli. So they delayed that until they have all the information, until they can look into that second accusation on Clark Donatelli. But in case you don't know, a lot of the facts about this case and what has happened. We do. I do want to go over the quick allegations that stemmed from the first lawsuit that are also going to be carried over into the second one. They stem from a team road trip back in November of 2018, where Donatelli allegedly made unwanted advances at Mrs. Scalde twice, including grabbing her breast and reaching down her pants while in the back of a cab as her husband was in the front seat. After this, about six months later, the Scaldis confronted Donatelli in May of 2019, where Donatelli said he was too drunk to remember and apologized to the couple, and then he also said that he was going to come forward to Bill Guerin at that moment. A couple weeks later, he had yet to do that, so the Scaldis reportedly went and reported the incident to Bill Guerin himself, who at the time was the overseer of the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins as their general manager, as well as the assistant general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. So that was in June of 2019. They brought it to him. And then later in June of 2019, Donatelli resigned. And the club stated personal reasons for his reason for leaving the club. Now, Scaldioso claims that Bill Guerin and the Penguins organization told him to keep quiet. And then also that they retaliated against Mr. Scaldi when he was let go from the team in 2020. The Penguin side of this is that they claim that they swiftly investigated and addressed the alleged incident within hours of obtaining knowledge of it. And they also claim that Scaldi was retained following his reporting of the incident until they had to make personal cuts due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So that is where the Penguins stand on it. And they do have a statement that I do want to read in, in a minute here. But with all of these facts laid out, Horwat, obviously we don't have all of the information. There's a lot of investigative work to do. There's a lot to happen in the in the courts but with all of this information again this is information we've had for a year we mentioned it last december we probably should have mentioned it last week as you mentioned but yeah. now looking at this again the biggest issue in all of this to me is the fact that it's already hard enough for victims of sexual assault to come forward in the first place i feel like the added pressure of what hockey is and the added pressure of I'm trying, I can't think of the word right now, um, but the environment of hockey culture, that's what I was looking for. The fact that at any point in this, the Scaldis had to think they didn't want to ruin the Wilkes-Barre season. That's due to the culture of hockey. That should not be an added factor for somebody who is already dealing with something that is the hardest thing that they've ever had to deal with in their life. So that to me is the most shocking portion of this not even shocking it, it makes sense but that to me is the biggest issue is that that played a mm-hmm. factor in them not being able on their own right to come forward because they're dealing with thinking about that as well that i that's what bothers me a lot it's the whole thing's bothersome it's like i mentioned last week these are hard things to discuss they're hard things to put into words and um it's it's disgusting whenever people feel like that they can't I don't even know like how to put it in the correct words but what you said yeah that whole situation it's awful um it's not like like we always say these aren't fun topics but they are real life they are real world and uh you know it's Something that just needs to be discussed and put out into the world, and it's, I'm struggling to find the words, and I hate that. I didn't want to struggle finding words in this episode, but um, the fact of the matter is that we don't know the extent of everything yet, um, how much the Penguins knew or were involved. We don't know if it you know, stopped at Bill Guerin's fate, stopped in Bill Guerin, stopped with Bill Guerin, 
or if he took it further. I remember in the original uh, lawsuit, Jim Rutherford was still the GM, and there was a lot of talks that he knew and was also involved in covering it up. To be fair, like I said, we don't know how far it would gotten. But if we look at the Kyle Beach situation, these groups have meetings. Yeah. <laughs> and if this was a meeting that was had between the people that are involved in this um, lawsuit. Like, if you were, if down the road we hear that there was a meeting of sorts between Bill Guerin, you know, Mario, Burgle, Rutherford, whoever else, it's it's not a good time and similar implications will have to be had that's there's no other way of putting it yeah and and like i said the biggest thing to me is the fact that hockey culture also put down a weight on the scaldies that they didn't want to disrupt the season it's like that yeah and that's an issue not in pittsburgh but that's an issue around the entire sport right now and 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 this is not going to be fixed by one lawsuit here or two lawsuits if you include the Kyle Beach situation. That's something that just needs yeah. to be worked on as a whole. But also, if the Penguins are implicated in this, it, it is disgusting. It is an awful act mm-hmm. that, I mean, like you said, it is hard to put into words at some points. But it's just, I hope we learn all the information. And in the back of my head, obviously, there's not going to be a happy ending to this. There shouldn't be because something absolutely heinous happened. No. So... Like I mentioned, the Penguins did release a statement on Tuesday saying, quote, We took this Wilkes-Barre-Scranton incident very seriously and acted immediately. The team investigated and addressed the alleged incident within hours of being notified in June of 2019, despite the fact that Mr. Scaldi delayed seven months before he reported the incident. Immediately upon receiving the report, a full investigation was conducted within 72 hours, and the former coach resigned from the organization. Following the report, Mr. Scaldi continued to coach in Wilkes-Barre-Scranton for an additional year until we made significant staff reductions due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So all that is basically political responding. And as everybody that has talked about this has said, you don't need to bring up the fact that the Scaldis waited seven months. You there, There's no need to say that. Everything other than that, okay, we expect you to deny it. We expect you to say that you did the right thing, but you don't need to bring Mm -hmm. that up because, like I mentioned, that's also on you because the reasons that they didn't bring it up, for one, it's, again, like I said, very hard for victims of sexual assault to come forward in the first place. Some never do. And secondly, Mm -hmm. the fact that they had that additional weight of saying, we didn't want to ruin the season, we didn't want to mess with the season— that is on you because you created that culture. It is a hockey-wide thing, but the Penguins also have their hand in it. They created that culture that that would even be a thought in somebody's mind. So I I really hated that they put that in there, as many people have, and I thought that was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, it was. And it's, it, like you mentioned, it takes sometimes people just don't come forward with that kind of situation. It's hard for someone to come forward with that mm-hmm. sort of thing it's it's hurtful that that's put into the statement but sometimes that you know things like that just don't need to be said i think the other part of it too that's um that wasn't mentioned here is that they mention uh that donatelli resigned but at the same time the penguins may have been doing their own investigation but still allowing him to be part of camps that were that happened yeah. he he resigned in the middle of a development he camp, was I think. yeah so he was still involved with the team despite being under this uh investigation that they're saying they they looked into so it's any wonder of and this is what, what i guess we'll find out through the process of uh the cases is that what the hell really yeah. happened here and as we mentioned there was another lawsuit that began and was filed just about a year ago that we already talked about in a previous episode and in that lawsuit the Scaldies are already suing the Pittsburgh Penguins for this incident in the U.S. District Court for the Middle District of Pennsylvania where the Scaldies are accusing the Penguins of negligently retaining a coach who sexually assaulted and harassed Mrs. Scaldi and then retaliating against Mr. Scaldi for reporting the incident. That's what the Penguins are accused of in that case. And just recently, the 
one update that I've seen is that the judge ruled against the Penguins motion to have arbitration instead of a jury trial. So those are the biggest updates on what has happened to that other lawsuit. And also there is another independent investigation from Safe Sport into Bill Guerin and his involvement. Whereas, like you mentioned, the USA Hockey, whether or not he becomes the general manager of USA Hockey for the Olympics is dependent upon the results of that Safe Sport investigation where he has not been cleared yet. So we have an independent investigation on Garen and then two lawsuits from the Scaldies against the Penguins, Garen, Lemieux, Burkle, and the entire organization. Yeah, there was one other thing I saw. I forget what it was when um, it was initially reported by SI Hockey, I think, that um, that Bill Garen was going to be the next... Yeah, here it is. I'm trying to find like the responses because... Because people were asking questions about it whenever SI or the Hockey News or whatever it was um, said Bill Guerin's likely to be the replacement for Stan Bowman. A lot of people were asking, isn't he under investigation for the same thing? And the writer responded with um, something that was in the article that said, got to find it now, uh, that basically he was not clear. Yeah, Say Sports said he wasn't cleared. I'm sorry I don't have this up already, so I'm stuttering over what I'm trying yeah, to do. There find, was but... a report that he had already been cleared of these accusations, but that was putting the yeah. cart before the horse again. Follow Rick Westhead for minute-to-minute updates because he was able to actually debunk that after it came out that it said that he was yeah. cleared. But he is not currently cleared as of this moment from those allegations, and that investigation is still ongoing. So that that is where we're at right now. That's basically what it was. Um, it's all very interesting, and clearly, I mean, Bill Guerin being under investigation by multiple different sources, the Penguins under this under investigation for multiple different cases. It's one thing we're going to have to follow for a while here, especially if we've only gotten one update yeah. in a matter of a year on the first one. So um, there's more to it than just our, uh, just our current team. There's more to this whole hockey business, man. It's gross, it's disgusting, and... The right people need to be held accountable for the right things. And if we've learned anything from the Kyle Beach situation is that the NHL has no idea how to handle it. Hell to the no. The, the, the press conference earlier this week with, with Gary Bettman was awful. And I don't want to deep dive in, into that alone because that could be a two-hour episode that really dives into why he probably needs to be relieved of his duties as NHL commissioner. But we won't get into that now. That's what Alan Walsh has been saying. Exactly. So we're going to make a really hard right here, a severe hard right as you have to do in these situations. And we are going to preview tonight's matchup between the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Philadelphia Flyers. It is the first matchup of these two teams on the season. The Pittsburgh Penguins going into this game are facing a lot of issues on the ice right now. They're coming off of a four-day break where you would think, okay, they're refreshed, they're ready, they're going to be healthy. But as is the case with the Pittsburgh Penguins usually, and definitely the case this season, the Penguins are not healthy. Chris Letang, luckily, is back with the team and cleared from the COVID protocol. He's on the ice. He practiced on Wednesday in line drills. You would assume that he's going to play, but it is not confirmed whether or not he is going to play as of yet. Crosby and Carter did come back on Saturday, but Sidney Crosby will probably, and by probably I mean 99% chance, not be in the lineup on Thursday night against the Philadelphia Flyers because him and Brian Dumlin have also tested positive for COVID-19. And now it is four players for the Pittsburgh Penguins that are currently in the COVID-19 protocol with Crosby, Dumlin, and then from earlier this week, Marcus Pedersen and Chad Ruedel. So the Penguins, once again, are going to be shorthanded going up against their cross-state rival. Yep. <laughs> um and Crosby is was listed as symptomatic, whereas yes. Dumoulin is asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, oh boy! And that uh, Latang was symptomatic, and he was given his uh, recollection of it. He had all of them basically for about four to five days. He said it was pretty yeah. bad. Yeah. So again, I don't know what the hell is going on with this team, but this virus sucks, man. It always has. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Always yeah. has. But. Yeah, I'm just not having a good time. Yeah. Not having a good time. So, shifting focus from who's not going to be 
there to who is going to be on the ice. As far as defense-wise, we're probably looking at, if Latang is able to go tonight, a Matheson-Latang top pairing, P.O. Joseph making his season debut with John Marino on the second pairing, and Yuso Rikula and Mark Friedman as the third pairing on defense. Definitely helter-skelter when you look at it, but that's what happens when you have three defensemen in the COVID protocol at once. But you know what it is? It's Mark Friedman against his old team, and we love oh, to see boy. that. We do have, if we have something to fall back on in this game, it is Mark Friedman playing against the Flyers. Yeah. And, God, that's always exciting. That's always so fun. Mm-hmm. He went, I mean, he never played with Simmons, and he went after him in the Toronto game. That's, a, I don't know what else you need to do, man. You don't like the Flyers, clearly. He's a perfect penguin in that situation. <laughs> Yeah, but I look at that third pairing with Rikula and Friedman. That's a lot of, wow, you guys have not played a lot of NHL hockey in the last two years. And wow, I have no idea what Mike Sullivan thinks of either of you at two at this point. They're getting a grand total of four minutes of ice time. I hope we all realize this. Uh, If there is no penalties in the game, which means no power play, no penalty kill, which neither of these two will be on either, in my opinion. I mean, Friedman might be on the PK. But if there is no penalties and it's five on five the entire time, they will not pass eight minutes of ice time. Hell no. They will genuinely probably not. Again, we don't know if Latang is going to be healthy, but if Latang is healthy, then the top two pairings are probably each going to have 22 minutes to 29 minutes of ice time. Latang might go over 30 again. And his first first game back off of COVID list. So it it also does not help that he's probably not going to be up to snuff when it comes to conditioning either. I just, we had no expectations for this team going into the year, right? None. None. We didn't have our top players. And then as the season went on, oh, more of our top players got hurt. In mm-hmm. somehow, some way, we have one game where, hey, our expectations have risen slightly or yeah. immediately because Crosby and Carter are back with the caveat of both of them probably not going to be up to speed yet. Yeah okay, but we're still going to get our expectations up because they are two of our better players right now. And now Crosby's gone again. Latang, for all we know, might not play. Sure, Rust is practicing, but he's not playing. All of a sudden, we have no expectations again. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I have no expectations for this team going into the Flyers. And who do we play after Philadelphia? The Minnesota Wild, who we will preview in the next segment. Yeah. Again, all of a sudden, I have no expectations for this team, which might be good. Mm-hmm. I didn't have expectations at the beginning of the season, and they went uh, went, went and won quite a few games. Quite a couple. Yep. Handily. Uh, but now, all of a sudden, with the expectations come and gone, I don't know. I just... This team drives me bonkers, and it's not even like it's games that are doing this to me. <laughs> yeah. It's legitimately... Injuries, COVID, off-ice bullshit. All of this is driving me insane. Yeah, and it is, like you said, it's encouraging that Brian Rust skated with the team. He practiced in a no-contact jersey, which is, if we've known anything about the Mike Sullivan era, is a step that he's probably back in the next week or two, Mm -hmm. which is good for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But if they're going to want to win games, especially starting on tonight's game with the Flyers, they're going to win games. They're going to need to win low-scoring games where Tristan Jari plays his ass off. They're coming off of a... Right now, the Penguins are riding a three-game losing streak. Three-game regulation losing streak. They're going to need Tristan Jari to be the Tristan Jari of the first couple games and not the Tristan Jari of last week. Because if if he is like he is last week, I don't know if the Penguins, where they're at right now, with the defense that they have out there and with the forwards that they have out there, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to just go out there and outscore people. Flat out, without playing great defense and having great goaltending. So you need P.O. Joseph to come up and be really good. You need Rikul and Freeman to hold down the fort. And, and realistically, you need Latang to be Superman once again. Yeah. And, and that could happen. It that could. could happen. That's why we play these games. Exactly. I do want to mention a couple things on the Philadelphia Flyers before we continue to talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins matchups coming up. The Flyers on the season are 5-2-1. and one currently coming off of a 3-0 win over the Arizona Coyotes on Tuesday. Their top performers this season are Sean Couturier. He has four goals and 11 points so far this season. Claude Giroux, five goals and 10 points. And newly acquired Cam Atkinson has six goals and seven points in the eight games played for the Philadelphia Flyers. And the biggest question for them coming into the season, similar to the Pittsburgh Penguins, was what does their goaltending look like? Carter Hart, 3-2-1. 2.33 goals allowed average and a 928 save percentage. So, so far, pretty good for Carter Hart. 
We're not looking at the Carter Hart of last season that <laughs> was absolutely abysmal. His numbers were abysmal. He's off to a decent start, similar to Tristan Jari. So we'll see that matchup probably on tonight's game. But the other two people that I think you need to look out for tonight, because they're not the, the biggest names, they're not the biggest stars, but it seems like they're always either on the score sheet or really evidently a big part of the game is Joel Farabee and Nick Obey-Cobell. Those guys always play well against the Pittsburgh Penguins ever since they came into the league. Last year, they were all over the place when we played them. This year, I expect nothing different. I think those two guys are going to play a big role, as well as, obviously, Coots and Giroux, who have just kind of started to lead this team as they did a couple of seasons ago. Great. Love that. Mm -hmm. So it'll be a difficult one. Yes. Well, it, it was going to be difficult regardless. Maybe we'll get Martin Jones and we'll be lucky. Martin Jones is 2-0 on the season. That's pretty good numbers. Damn it! Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, it's the Flyers. Hopefully they fall apart eventually. Yeah, the only thing that is still true from last season is that defense can still be suspect. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So if, if anything is true, it is the Pittsburgh Penguins should get some really good offensive opportunities. So like I said, you pot three goals tomorrow and you hope that your defense can rally together missing three guys and Tristan Jari can stand on his head. So we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to be previewing Saturday night's matchup between the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Minnesota Wild. We'll be right back. NFL fans, are you hungry for a big win this week? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It is that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings will not leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network, as well as DraftKings. Make sure you use promo code THPN when you visit the DraftKings Sportsbook app for great odds and opportunities. We're here to preview the Pittsburgh Penguins, Minnesota Wild. That game is coming up on Saturday night, and it's a matchup that we have not seen since January 14th of 2020. And why was that game significant? Because the Penguins, while well, they won 7-3, so it was a good game at PPG Paints Arena, but it was Sidney Crosby's return game from his core muscle surgery where he put up one goal and three assists. That's how long it's been since we've seen the Minnesota Wild. It's a whole new team, isn't it? I'm like trying to Completely. find that team. So it's not going to be the same. The only thing that for... I do remember that was basically the same is Marcus Felino was raising hell in that game, and he is obviously one of the leaders still in the Minnesota Wild. Yeah trying to just pull up the roster but you know mm -hmm. hockey reference likes to throw ads in my face yeah <laughs> but yeah i mean Parise and Suter, the obvious ones that are gone kirill, kirill kaprizov is an obvious addition mm -hmm. i think they're, i think they've had new goalies every year since you know their team started but who else is on this old team oh matt barkowski was over there um kevin fiala was their leading scorer eric stahl is no longer there mm -hmm. Uh, Matt Zuccarello is still there, right? He is yeah. still there, yes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the point is, it, there has been some overhaul in Minnesota since the last time we've played. It's been a while. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. And it's an interesting thing to see, especially now that they are... When I mean, when we played them then, it, they weren't the same. They were not as good of a team. Now they look like a house of fire. At least they did last season, kind mm -hmm. of. Kaprizov um, put the world on his back basically willed that team into being relevant but also the cast of characters behind him were just as good and talented so 
I hate when the <laughs> sorry if you heard this car screech outside. Mm-hmm. Someone somebody who works here likes doing that a lot. Anyway, it's a much different team than what we had last time. Mm-hmm. Than what we faced last time. So it's gonna be an interesting matchup and it should be fun. The Wild are a fun team on their own. Mm-hmm. Now it's a matter of facing up against them. And what are they, six and three? They're pretty good right now. They are. They're six and three and you saying they're a fun team, I mean, they never used to be. There was a long yeah. time where that team was make your eyes bleed boring. But mm-hmm. the addition of Kirill Kaprizov really kind of jump-started that with a guy like Kevin Fiala, with the goaltending Cam Talbot that they've been able to get. They're a team that has been put together by Billy Guerin, who obviously we talked about in the first segment. But they're a team that is exciting. They're a team that took Vegas to the brink in the first round last year. And they're a team that this year is expected to make a run to the playoffs at the very least, and possibly a little bit later into the playoffs. Now, like you mentioned, they're 6-3-0 on the season. Their last game was Tuesday, so they will not play between, or they did, they're not going to end up having a game between Tuesday's win and Saturday's matchup with the Penguins. Nice three-day break for them. But in that game, they got a 5-4 overtime win against the Ottawa Senators, a game in which the game-winning goal in overtime was scored by Kirill Kaprizov. His first goal of the season before that, it was a, a little bit of a panic time in Minnesota because he would not have been putting the puck in the net. He does have eight points on the season, so he did have six assists going into that game, had a goal and assist in that game, but Minnesota fans were a little scared that their leading scorer from last year, 26 goals in 55 games last year, did not have a goal up until that performance. Yeah, and you want to you know what else Minnesota's loving right now? Their addition of Kalen Addison. You're very welcome. Yeah. You um, are very welcome. Obviously, the Pittsburgh Penguins in that trade between getting Kalen Addison and a first-round pick, and I believe somebody else went to Minnesota as well in exchange for Jason Zucker. They, at, up to this Galchenyuk. point— uh, Galchenyuk. that's who it was. It, I forgot about him because he has been on three other teams since then. But that trade obviously has kind of swayed in the favor of the Minnesota Wild. They have a really useful defenseman. Meanwhile, I mean, Jason Zucker hasn't been bad, and he's been better this season already. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you look at the price that you paid, and it was a little bit of an overpay there. Yeah, and who did they – did they trade Galchenyuk, or did they just let him walk in free agency? They because... just let him walk in free agency. He ended up going, I believe, to Toronto first, and now I believe he's back in Arizona. Ottawa, traded by Ottawa to Carolina, traded by Carolina to Toronto – Signed wow. as a free agent with the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah. I, I said three teams, and I thought I was being a little exaggerated, but nope, four four teams since he left Minnesota, and he was only there for, like, half a year. Played eight games in Ottawa, scored one goal, was a minus six. Yeah. Uh, Kelchenyak's career. That that could be a, that could be a feature on yeah, something. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because he signed a PTO with Arizona, didn't he? He did. This year? Yeah. Oh, well don't think he made it <laughs> uh no but uh back to this game obviously uh the goaltending matchup between what again i would expect coming off of a long break he's going to get back-to-back starts in tristan jari against cam talbot cam talbot has been okay for the minnesota wild so far this year a 2.72 goals allowed average a 905 save percentage and he's six and two on the year so he's done well enough to get wins for this minnesota wild team but when you look at their roster and the penguins roster for this matchup, it's not going to be a lot of high-flying names. Kirill Kaprizov's probably the top-billing player there, the top-billed superstar. And then other than that, it's going to be a test of depth. You look at the Penguins, they obviously have a little bit higher goals for per game in 3.25 against the Wilds 3.00, and also a better goals against per game, again, by about the same margin. So you're expecting this game to finish 4-3, to 3-2. You hope that the Pittsburgh Penguins with all these players out and with the depleted defense are able to match up well with the Minnesota wild, because even back in 2019, the question was, Hey, this team is really deep. They're not really bad in any area, but they're also not extremely good in any area. I feel like they're at the same level, but a little bit better. Obviously you have a guy in Kirill Kaprizov that is an elite goal scorer that helps, but I feel like the rest of the team is at that same level where there's not really a gaping hole anywhere in that lineup. 
So you're just going to have to play well through all four lines. And that's, of course, what Mike Sullivan likes to do. It's what he likes to do. And it's what this team is usually really good at. Mm-hmm. We always talk about the Bluger line always being one of the team's better lines, better units. Mm-hmm. They're not a top line. They're third right now and could be fourth come full health or still third and full, some weird full health is a joke that we tell each other ourselves exactly exactly um or there's our top point scorers right now which are dan heinen who no he's not a top line guy at least not in the grand scheme of things i wouldn't think so he was practicing on the top line on wednesday yeah it's just a matter of our depth always steps up, and we like rolling four lines. Mm-hmm. Mike Sullivan always has. It is what has been the key to success for us in the last uh, few seasons. So if that continues to work, this shouldn't be any problem. But it's just a matter of getting it to work. Mm-hmm. And when you realize our fourth line at this point has become phew, nameless gray faces in a way. I mean, they're not nameless. We know who they are, yeah, but it's Dr- old Brian Boyle, mm-hmm. Drew O'Connor, who, in the grand scheme of the NHL, nameless gray face, and... Sam Lafferty. Sam Lafferty, who, yeah, no thank you. They're, Dom Simone is probably squeaking his way somewhere in this lineup because no one can stay healthy. It's... It's a... It's a, it's just all of our depth. Yeah. <laughs> just, that's it. Nothing else. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Gensel's out there, but he hasn't done jack yet. Kapanen's out there. Also really hasn't done jack yet. Rust is hurt. Uh, Jeff Carter, while a top-ish line name, we acquired him to be a depth piece. Mm-hmm. It's not the same. So our forward core is interesting, but if we're able to continue to roll all four despite who the names are and who the faces are, no problem. Now, I do have one question for you regarding the Penguins lineup before we move on to the next segment here, and that is, if you had to choose between Dom Simone and Sam Lafferty, who would you rather put in the lineup? Dom Simone. I have more faith in him. Yeah. Sure, he may not score, but he may not score and may not have the willingness to brawl a little bit, but I at least like his game more than I like Sam Lafferty's. Mm-hmm. As of this moment, Sam Lafferty has drawn in instead of Dom Simone, but I, I agree with you. I'd rather see... Dom Simone in the lineup than Sam Lafferty. I think he helps a little bit more on the offensive side, and I I don't think Sam Lafferty has as much upside on the defensive side to try to counterbalance that. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to close out this episode with our shout-outs and call-outs. We'll be right back. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team, in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network, as well as DraftKings. Once again, promo code THPN at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Horwat, we're going to close out this show with our shout-outs and our call-outs. Let's start with our shout-outs. I, I want to I shout-out Ryan Callahan, because he has been great since moving over from NBC to ESPN this season. Obviously, NBC doesn't carry hockey anymore, so I don't know what use they would have for a guy like Ryan Callahan, but he signs with ESPN, and I think he's been really, really good. And I think one thing that we've noticed with everybody that was on NBC last year is they were restricted in their commentary a little bit. This, obviously, I've watched the way Ryan Callahan has been a color commentator for some of the games that ESPN Plus has put on, but also when he's on in the crease, and he's just a commenter there with either Arta Ocal or whoever he's with. He has really good input. Input that we did not hear when he was a member of the NBC crew. So, clearly, ESPN is a little bit more liberal in what they're allowing their commenters to say. Obviously, we've seen John Tortorella say a lot. TNT has done the same things with Paul Bessonette, with Wayne Gretzky, with Rick Tockett, just letting them say... Not anything they want, because I'm sure that would get a little bit more R-rated. But saying a lot more in terms of being able to express what they actually feel instead of reading from the same script, which is basically what NBC was the past five seasons. So shout out to Cali. I think he's done a great job, and uh, I'm excited to continue to watch what we're seeing from MB- or, sorry, from ESPN and from TNT. Yeah, I haven't seen much of it yet. I finally started watching, or at least having hockey on in the background on ESPN+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, despite the, them not being local games, but I mean, 
the thing about ESPN Plus, at least when it comes to the games, is I'm getting the local feeds. Yeah. I haven't watched any of the ESPN games yet. I just uh, caught up on Edmonton's local feed and forget who else's. Yeah. Like Toronto's. I don't. Remember. I think they but, only have like four or five games a week. That is their yeah, ESPN specifically their commentators. But I still have to find the time and the effort really to actually watch the shows you're discussing mm-hmm. um, and really see what's going on over there. It's obviously it's much better mm-hmm. already than NBC because they're allowing them to be a little more open and they were you know what else made them you know what else gave them the feel that they're going to be more open about what they're doing and saying oh they had paul bissonette come on yeah you're not tying that guy down okay as much as you want to you're not going to yeah we've already seen a couple things where you're like whoa can you say that on tv yeah you can lower him a little bit but you're not gonna get him to completely shut it off so that was the first sign of yeah they're gonna they're gonna be fun they're gonna be open to Mm -hmm. things and they got to be the right kind of open to things because, uh, man, remember, because you got to be the right kind of open to things because you can't let what, what's his name? What was his name? The one that no one liked, the one that went into the crowd and beat someone with their own shoe? Oh, Mike Milbury. Yeah, because you can't let Mike Milbury talk. Can't have that kind of shit flying. Yeah. So, hey, shout out to ESPN and TNT. I guess they're doing good work. I just need to catch it still. <laughs> I'm a little behind the ball. All right, Horal, what is your shout-out this week? Uh, my shout-out is the reason why I'm a little behind the ball. Uh, I started reading again, oh. and it's, yeah, it's like the first time since high school. Um, but most I'm mostly only reading because Paul McCartney made a book that this isn't the book, it's the box it came in. That's a big book. It's two books, to be fair. Ah, so, okay. But it's also, they're both big because, you see how they're called, the lyrics? Mm-hmm. It's literally the story behind almost every song he has ever written. Wow. From 1954, his first song as a kid, and through his, so far I've gotten up to like 2018, Mm -hmm. I think is as far as it goes. I don't know if it's got his new album in there, Mm -hmm. but dude, for someone who's as big of a music fan as I am, and as big of a Beatles fan as I was growing up, this is incredible stuff, and like I said, I'm reading again, but it's fun reading. It's stories of the songs that he's written throughout his life that mm-hmm. it's not an autobiography i think he says like in the forward that he's been approached to do autobiographies more time than he cared more times than he cares to count mm-hmm. um and you know most people have diaries or you know journals of their life and their past he never did that he has his songs so this is the most autobiographical thing we might ever get from him mm-hmm. because it's just incredible reading through these songs and the stories he's telling he's given the the backgrounds to the songs but it's also these stories that come along with it uh from his beetle days from uh his stuff with wings and then his solo career stuff so it's incredible stuff and just off-stage stories behind the scenes of how he wrote his music in the past few years and still upcoming for the rest of this year at least full-on just beatles revamp Mm -hmm. all the albums have gotten redone uh, get back that new documentary from the Let It Be recordings comes out on Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and I'm going to be losing myself in childhood music at least for me uh, through this out through this through these books that documentary and all these re-releases it's fun stuff I love it mm-hmm. well let's move over to call outs I, I, I do like the book I yeah I, I I don't know I tried to read I've I wish had I had so like, many hockey books that I, I I should be reading but I have not read in a long time I wish I had more than just the box that came in next to me but I didn't want to get up and yeah. go all the way across the room for the one book the other <laughs> yeah. one is currently just on my shelf somewhere it's in there it's in it's in the shot yeah but uh it's yeah but it's time to get to the more dark stuff right well yeah definitely more sad um, stuff. <laughs> My call out this week is Henry Ruggs, the third former wide receiver of the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, drunk driving at three in the morning on Tuesday evening or Tuesday morning, I should say. Not only is he twice the legal limit in blood alcohol content, but he was driving 156 miles per hour when he collided with another vehicle and killed the driver of the other vehicle, who was a 23 year old woman. He's charged in Nevada with DUI resulting in a fatality, and he's looking it up from 2 to 20 years in prison. 
that type of decision making for a guy that what do you have like what do you have in your hands before that happens you're a successful nfl football player young with a lot of money to make playing a game you make a decision that stupid instead of just calling an uber and now a 23 year old woman has lost her life and now you have lost your life for good reason you're gonna be spending probably i would imagine at least the next 10 years in prison so bare minimum yeah there goes your yeah that's everything it's football career over uh and just horrible decisions that ended a life i mean mm-hmm. anytime you see those don't drink and drive commercials they kind of gloss over the not gloss over i shouldn't say but they don't blatantly say the absolutely horrific things that can happen and that's this yeah the fact that a 23 year old woman who also we're 24 it also, we have our entire lives ahead of us. Mm-hmm. That woman had her entire life ahead of us, ahead of her. So does he, or so did he. Like, it's in the matter of one stupid decision, mm-hmm. you've taken one life and ruined your own and ruined however many lives were are going to be affected by the loss of a family member or a friend. Mm-hmm. It's dumb decisions like that that cannot fly in any aspect of life no matter the age the situation or whatever else yeah uh duis are one of the stupidest things Mm -hmm. especially in this day and age of uber lyft uh uh taxis if you're in the right city walking if you're in the right vicinity calling a a friend anything there are so many other options that both of them could be safe right now yeah. And one of them is dead and the other person again, minor injuries to Henry Ruggs, but he he's going to be in prison for a long time. Yeah. As he should be. As he should be. So, Horwat, close us out with your call out. It doesn't get too much brighter from here because I'm calling out, I don't know if you heard this at all or saw this at all, but I'm calling out the Armstrong High School student section for um, some pretty not very good comments at a recent high school hockey game. Armstrong PA uh, was facing off against Mars Mars High School. Mars High School had a female goalie in mm-hmm. and you know just when we're reaching this new level of women belong in sports, women belong to be you know are allowed to be playing in sports can do great things. The Armstrong student section was chanting some pretty inappropriate and vulgar things toward this goalie to the point where uh, the female goalie was in tears off the ice because of just the horrendous shit that was being said. I don't even want to repeat it. Yeah. Honestly. No. Um, if anyone finds it's a, there's a story on the fan of, uh, at least one of the clips, Colin Dunlap tweeted a couple of them out. Uh, it's just awful stuff because again, it's high school sports. It's open for everyone that it's, no one deserves that sort of thing. Colin Dunlap did retweet. Um, her old coach said that uh, she doesn't deserve it. She loves the game, and um, that's not something anyone ever deserves to hear because they are, you know, a female in the sport. And I, it's again more stuff that's hard to put into words. But these aren't this, these these aren't things you just chant like that. Don't know what the hell could have come across their mind, and no one stopping it isn't any better. But don't know what you can do to stop that. It's an entire student section. Uh, education, yeah. Basically, that's. The, I mean, we've been pounding at the door, starting with, you know, on from the NHL level down, saying hockey is for everybody, but a lot of people still don't actually follow through with that. Now, the NHL hasn't followed through with that but it should be for everybody because hockey is for everyone but let's not use it as a moniker let's not use it as a slogan let's not use it as a marketing tactic let's actually start just believing it start there yeah start believing in what you're saying start accepting that hockey players can be anybody so i did not see that story um but it 
is definitely just I I don't know. I, I, I again hard to put into words. People just need to start being nicer to each other. I don't understand how we can be this far into civilization and people are still dickheads like that. Yeah, and the worst part is like you haven't read the story, you haven't seen the story, you're gonna go watch the videos and you're I am awaiting a message of holy fuck, how did this happen? Because it's pretty horrible what they were chanting and mm-hmm. um like I said, she was left in tears over it. So it's horrible stuff and you feel for everyone involved that was hurt by it because that student section, Armstrong's student section isn't allowed to go back to games. They shouldn't well, be. Yeah. And just all the other things that come with it. We've been trying, like, we've seen how amazing women in sports can be. I mean, hell, the, the women hockey teams in the Olympics put on more fun games than the men's do sometimes. Point blank. So it's just wrong to see things like this still happening and Mm -hmm. that's just how we have to close off this very not fun episode to record (laughs) but hey these are important things that need to be discussed so yeah we would be grossly negligent and not talking about them that's that's part of the problem is people shy away from talking about them and we want to talk about it more so obviously uh, like we said before we're going to keep track of this and hopefully we get updates about the penguin situation Mm-hmm. before another year passes hopefully some some information comes out but if there is more information we will bring it to you here on the tip of the iceberg podcast also like we mentioned at the top of the show follow rick westhead and just that's that's your hourly that's your update to update that's what we follow and also katie strang as well is plugged into everything that is happening in those situations so definitely follow those two on twitter to all keep the, updated yeah and all of the local writers will be all over it as well i mm-hmm. Uh, read some stuff from Taylor Haas as well. She's covering this stuff pretty well because she takes this shit seriously. Um, I think Mike DeFable might have stuff as well. Everywhere you look, every, every local writer will have something too. Mm-hmm. So uh, it'll be out there for you to read. You just gotta do your due diligence and find it. We cannot just keep reporting it to you every week. But I mean, do we, your part. Learn, educate yourself. Yeah, I mean, we will if there's new information. But apart from that, Correct, yeah. we're not going to continue yeah. to repeat the same stuff but yeah clearly but that's going to do it for this episode of the tip of the iceberg podcast thank you so much for tuning in we appreciate you tuning in each and every week we will be back on monday to see how these two games ended up for the pittsburgh penguins pens flyers and pens wild but that's going to do it again for this episode we'll see you guys next week have a great weekend pens fans You can follow us on Twitter at Nick Horwat 41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.